Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders. That's me. And the other guy is Kirk Damon. That's Kirk as the captain of the Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri, who badly need to hire somebody to do this reading so we can just keep... <laughs> Play it and I have to record it every time. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders. You can find Kirk at KirkDMN. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGPod. Also, this information is on our webpage, www.lggpodcast.com, which I don't think I've updated since July. Yeah, so we probably need to get on that. And our intro also assumes you guys are actually all still on Twitter and have not all run to Mastodon. Uh, yes, that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I tried to make a Mastodon account. I could not figure it out. I, I'm officially too old for this. <laughs> exactly. Which is why we're still on Twitter. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, it's it's been a minute. We're sorry. Uh, we we love you all, and we want to bring you content. But uh, boy, has it been a fall. Um, you and I have both just been crazy busy with random things at exactly the opposite time to where we've never been here. Yeah, that's a, the issue. With this has not been you know interesting content. We have written like large outlines for content. We have developed shows that we know we want to put together. We just have not had a chance to sit down and record them. Even though we've sat down and talked through issues and talked through stuff we could be recording, we just haven't done it. I think we've had at least four or five conversations about recording a podcast episode yeah. without actually recording a podcast episode. <laughs> and we've had four or five conversations that could have been podcast episodes yes. if we just would have recorded we them. We just had one right before this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some exciting news, maybe. We'll find out. We are going to do something uh, crazy. So this is actually going to be our first episode for season... Are we on six now? Yeah, I think it's season six. Whatever the season is, this will be the first episode of that season. <laughs> also, the first episode of season one of a new podcast <laughs> we're calling LGG In Camera. So uh, bear with us here. As you know, if you listen to this podcast with any frequency we have basically two types of episodes we have uh the sort of the 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 deep legal theory crafting stuff where we dive into either a case or just how ip laws apply to one of our cherished uh, geek properties either how it's actually been applied we went over some star wars case law once or uh, how it might be applied we talked about who owns the copyright in the klingon language if anybody actually does so we have those kind of episodes those require uh, a good deal of preparation, a little bit of research, uh, and are a little harder to put together. Yeah, they also, when we do them, I think, as is, is well in preparation, it's ones we have to pay more attention to just staying on topic, what we're doing. You guys know we diverge in some of these. We, we really, really like to do not that, yeah. to. We really try to focus these episodes on, like, focusing on these legal issues and stuff along those lines. Yeah. And then we also have uh, our more lighthearted episodes where we talk about uh, more of the, the, the pop culture aspects of, of geek stuff. Things we've seen, movie reviews, um, speculating about what's coming, and just kind of covering things that are going on. And we get into a little bit of the IP. We talk about some of the, the copyright issues and, and kind of speculate about why they're doing certain things. Uh, but for the most part, we stay at pretty surface level. And a lot of those are very much surface level, like us just talking about, hey, we saw this thing, we yeah. liked it, whatever it might be. Th- those are, as you can imagine, uh, easy to put together. They require virtually no preparation. <laughs> In fact, there have been times where I think we had once that you and I both just happened to have seen something together. We're like, without ever talking about it, let's just record an episode right now. Yeah. And then that was that. I think so, that was the Star Wars anime stuff. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I think that was was it. Which, by the way, there's a second season. Coming, I know. So. Uh, so anyway, the idea behind uh, doing the uh, LGG in camera, which we'll explain what that means in a second also, is to uh, bifurcate the... Uh, it was a legal term I shouldn't use. Bifurcate <laughs> the podcast into really two streams. This stream, if you're finding this episode now, you've probably gotten to it by being a subscriber to the LGG podcast main... I'll call it the main yeah. podcast. Lawyers Guide to the Galaxy, yes. if you want to call it by the full name. 
We're going to launch a new stream, uh, which will have the lighter content. So the heavier stuff, the, the legal-centric stuff will stay here. We will have probably fewer of those episodes over the course of the year. We're thinking probably six, maybe more, as uh, cases come out. We've got the Warhol case yep. this year, a new Google case coming. So if you're really into the, the more in-depth legal analysis... Stay here. That's where it will be. And many of these episodes, I think, to warn is going to be potentially longer episodes. They kind of um, have to be, yeah. They kind of have to be. And we may Not assume, that we can't talk forever about basically anything. Yeah. But. <laughs> but we may also very assume some basic legal knowledge as well in conjunction with these. Yeah. Or at least having listened to prior episodes. Because they're going to try to build on each other. We're going to try to go into it. So, And we're going to try to focus very much on legal aspects. And the reason I think we're doing this, and I mean, I'll let Ben you know, second me here as to what it is, is we have definitely received feedback that there are people who really like the really in-depth episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our Google API episode is you know one of the most listened to episodes we have. We know people really like it. That is probably the most legal episode we ever done. Yeah, that one was um, really, really technical. And so you know we know people like these, but to get into those episodes requires a lot of research on our part, a lot of crafting and putting together how to go through this and how to make it make sense to people who don't necessarily have legal training. And then just a lot of going through it yeah. and, and walking through here's the various pieces of it, like writing a legal brief. And so what we're trying to do is basically say, hey, for those of you guys who like that, we want to give you more of those kind of episodes and have a place where those episodes all exist by themselves. Yeah. And it's it's the, the tricky part is not going through it. Kirk and I can both sit down and we've been doing this long enough. I can breeze through a Supreme Court fair use case in, in, in 20 minutes. But we both have to have read it. And we both have to have kind of understood the background, the procedural posture. It's it's one thing to read the case, but to really kind of give you the, the in-depth background that we think people want and to understand how it's going to affect things and do the prognostications yeah. that we like. It, it just takes a lot more effort than just reading through it. If you just want someone to summarize an opinion... You can find, you know, poor quality summaries all over the media. <laughs> yeah. Well, and quite frankly, I mean, it was the thing when we say that type of stuff. You got to realize we're reading legal media every morning, every afternoon. You know, we all subscribe to, you know, lists of, you know, hey, here's the court cases that are coming down. Here's basic analysis of them. Here's important things to take away. Here's placing this in context of other things that may be relevant to you. You know, stuff like that. We can do all that because we do all that every yeah. day. But for you, to give it to you guys, we can't necessarily assume that when we're going to talk about the Andy Warhol case, you immediately know what its procedural posture is and why it ended up in front of the Supreme Or who Andy court. Warhol is, for that matter. You know, that's, that's, that's our old man energy coming to bear. Like, everybody knows who that is. Um, so, yeah. So, for the other stream, for the LGG podcast in camera, we'll put a link on the website so you can find it. You will need to subscribe to that separately. This episode will be in that stream. So, when you do subscribe, and you will subscribe, uh, you'll see this episode <laughs> reappearing. Uh, so, if, this, if you're hearing this for the second time, you can stop. There's nothing new in this episode. But we're going to try and move more of the lighthearted stuff there. We're going to get probably more episodes, shorter episodes, and less less depth on, on legal issues. Those episodes have also done pretty well uh, in our stream, and we're, we just we kind of want to see for a year where more of the interest is. Um, they they both get a lot of downloads, but I was you know I was telling Kirk right before we started, we get you know one new subscriber, someone downloads the entire back catalog. It's a lot of episodes at this point, and so it kind of inflates the numbers, and it's hard to tell what people are, are really really want. So we're going to do this for one year. We're, we're devoted to it, uh, and we'll we'll see how it goes. And we uh, of course are interested in your feedback and your thoughts and whether you love it or hate it. Yep. So we'll see how it goes. And see what you guys think of the potential bifurcated format. Obviously, if you love it, if you hate it, send us feedback. Yes, uh, definitely. You Okay, so uh, for uh, as we have been doing for the last few years, our first episode for uh, 2023 is going to be Public Domain Day. Public Domain Day. Our we have to do Public Domain Day. day. 
And we will go to our favorite resource for Public Domain Day, the Duke Law uh, Center for Public Domain Studies. They publish each uh, year a Public Domain Day, sort of, what would you call it, a summary maybe, of like major works entering the public domain? Yeah, I think it's a good way to describe it is they try to go through major works that are entering the public domain, you know, list them out, say what they are, give links to them, what they oftentimes give uh, some a little bit of historical context of why they're major works. Yes. Um, you know, behind it. And then I think summarize some of the law around both what does it mean to have public domain day, which is the same kind of stuff we get into here, but also what do we know about these particular works entering public domain and what does that potentially mean? Yes. And this this public dom- this year public domain day is particularly interesting because it is They all are. They all are, but this uh, we're really getting into um, well, let's back up. Copyright term. We've talked about this We've talked before. about this before, but the copyright term was extended in the 1990s, and it used to be 75 years, and now yeah. it's 95 years for, for corporate works. Yeah. So stuff that was published in 1927 uh, is now entering the public domain as of January 1. As we've said before, everything enters public domain on the same day at the end of the year, so uh, you want to publish early in the year to squeeze out <laughs> as much time as you can. Um, but we are, so we're talking 1927, we are getting, we're not getting to, we're at the end of the silent film era and getting into the talkies. Yes, we are at the end, and, and that may be the most major start yes. of this, is we are at the end of the silent film era. Yeah, that, that's going to add a lot of, of uh, interesting complexity going forward in terms of, of what enters the public domain, because it's not just the movies, but the audio that goes with it, and the music and things like that. And the, the we should say the reason why we didn't have talkies before uh, was the technology technology used to capture sound. We uh, used the uh, the wax cylinders and the discs and all those kinds of things, and there was no way to record the sound reliably in synchronization with the video footage, much less play it back. By the late 1920s, they had developed the ability to record sound on film, and so you could capture the sound and the video simultaneously and sync them up. Uh, and then, of course, that wound up being way more uh, popular than the silent films. People weren't sure that was going to be the case. They thought it might actually... Break up the narrative. Uh, people will be listening rather than watching. Uh, there's a whole fascinating history. On, I believe uh, there's actually a movie coming out about. I think this. there is. Yeah, I think that's I why I didn't know this. Year, yeah. I saw that. Uh, so, <laughs> so this is the first year of the talkies. Uh, that's also important because next year, maybe the most famous of all of the talkies uh, enters the public domain. Uh, Steamboat Willie. Yeah. Well, so that's 2024. 2024. It's next year. So Steamboat Willie was published in 28, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it will enter the public domain on January 1, uh, 2024. So you'll see a lot of talk about that. Uh, and what that means for Disney. We'll talk about that today. But first, let's go through some of the major things entering the public domain this year. Again, this is from Duke Law Center for the Study of the Public Domain. We will tag them in our Twitter yep. feed if they're still on Twitter, and uh, we'll post a link to that. We should say uh, this this Duke Law Center, we don't know anybody from them. We just stumbled upon this page. And it happens to be particularly good for really presenting is. this. Uh, let's just say that they have an angle. Uh, they are, I would say there's a general overtone of hostility towards long copyright terms, uh, as you might expect from a somebody who studies, studies the public domain uh, it makes their jobs more difficult so um, there's uh, this is, there's more than a little bit of advocacy on here in terms of uh, a point of view but uh, they do a great job of summarizing this stuff and it's not like it's not like they don't have a point you know <laughs> 95 yeah, well, years again, is a long time we've said the show we've said it before I think anybody who's a serious you know practitioner or you know academic studying intellectual property is also a firm believer in limited term you know not necessarily a rights holder but somebody who basically you know works in the area and stuff like that is a firm believer in limited term you know there's a lot of debate as to how limited the limited term should be. Yes. And that's where I think most of the disagreement would lie amongst anybody who disagrees with that. But most of us would agree that there should be a limited term. 
term, and therefore there is a need for a public domain day to occur. Um, so from that point of view, I think we're all in agreement. My take of this site is the particular usefulness of this site is pointing out what is entering the public domain yep. at this stage, because it's hard to keep track of when things are published and when officially they are, and it's useful to have somebody go through and actually verify it. So let's start with that. Books. Uh, there's a whole long list here. A couple really jump out, though. We've got some Virginia Woolf works. We've got uh, Willa Cather. Uh, we talked before about how the 1920s had the Harlem Renaissance. So a lot of important works of, uh, of black literature are entering the public domain. We've got another A.A. A. Milne work, Hemingway, Faulkner. We are really into the thick of like <laughs> American the early Americana. <laughs> like, I mean, just the, the legendary authors that everybody read. Their stuff is all coming into the public domain now. Uh, also, uh, German writers. Uh, we've got Franz Kafka, America. Um, and then what's the other one I saw? Uh, Der Steppenwolf, which yeah. I've never read. I've never um, read that either, I yeah. have to admit. You know, it's what it is. Uh, we've got Herbert uh, Asbury, the original. Gangs of New York, yep. uh, and uh, one that Kirk found, I didn't even notice, uh, Franklin W. Dixon, The Tower Treasure, the first Hardy Boys. Yeah, the only reason I noticed it, thank you to call it to do, is the fact that they show the cover from the Hardy Boys, and I'm like, wait a minute, what's this thing? I had no idea it was, it was that, that old. old. I didn't even... <laughs> I was thinking it was written in like the 60s yeah. or something. Um, so yeah, that's I think a really you know intriguing one. The one you also missed in tonight's that list, Agatha Christie. Oh yeah, I mean, Agatha, Christie's. Agatha Christie. I love Agatha Christie. Yeah, the, the big four. Um, <laughs> no, a lot of the actual titles here are not like uh, William Faulkner, Mosquitoes. I haven't even heard of that one. I know why they've been out a lot of Hemingway, it. Men Without Women. Um, I, I think I've heard of it. I don't think I've read anything from it. A.A. Uh, a. Mill, Now We Are Six. Um, that must be uh, another Winnie stories, the Pooh. I believe, yeah. Yeah, it says illustrations by E.H. Shepard, who I think also did the Winnie the yeah. Pooh illustrations. Yeah, probably and it's another Tigger's 2024, if I remember rightly, uh, for A.A. Mill. So part of the issue you bump into is that Tigger was a character introduced later. Um, and so I think it's an important thing to note that I believe that's 2024. I don't believe that Tigger's in this, but I don't know. Uh, it's I'm another Winnie the Pooh book. That is another Winnie the Pooh, more stories. Which is so, a but. good chance to point out. So, you know, Winnie the Pooh entered the public domain last, last year. year. With the publication. Winnie the Pooh himself and yes. certain of the major characters. As depicted in that book. Yep. Uh, and so now and we, have when, a, we have another Winnie the Pooh book. Now we are six entering the public domain. And we saw last year an explosion in people making Winnie the Pooh stuff. Which yes. went in basically two directions. Cute, cuddly things generally in the spirit of Winnie the Pooh. Which one was ignored. And then the opposite of that. Yes. <laughs> which was, what is the most crass, overtly sexual, and violent way we can portray Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> We're going to turn it into a slasher movie! <laughs> oh, yes. And 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 how. We, we we watched a trailer for one of them. Now, so I, I have to admit, so is the thing. I, I learned about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. If you guys haven't encountered it, it's a slasher movie. Um, definitely sort of, I would say, acting upon the basis of Winnie the Pooh. Um, I've only watched the trailer. I have not watched the movie. I am not a big fan of slasher movies. I find them uninteresting. Yeah. I enjoy horror, but I really don't like slasher movies. I find the gore uninteresting. And I prefer, as I say, I would prefer psychological horror. I like my 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 murderer to remain elusive and what he's doing to people to be unknown. The big thing I definitely got into those, I did watch the trailers and I watched a couple things of like, you know, release scenes and stuff like that for Blood and Honey. I think... Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is one of the more creative ideas that potentially has ever actually come into Didn't a say slasher movie. Creative. And I think <laughs> it's actually a potentially, you know, very intriguing movie concept as to what it is. Whether or not it's a very good movie, well, it's a slasher movie and it's a low-budget slasher yeah. movie. Those have their audience, and if you like them, I have no idea whether or not it's good. It's just not something I can speak on because I don't really yeah. care for them at all. I, I kind of put this <laughs> into the same category as, like, the original Jackass line of films where... 
whether it's good or not, the, the appeal to the film is not going to be the quality of the writing or the cinematography or the acting. It's just the novelty. This is this is a, yeah. a, uh, a shock and annoy your elderly parents situation where how dare <laughs> they put my beloved Winnie the Pooh character into this, uh, this, this terrible juxtaposed, you know, tonally jarring right, yeah. context. People are going to want to go see it because it's called Winnie the Pooh and it's a slasher movie and they're going to, how are they going to do that? Whereas I'm the old fart who looks at it and says, this is a great idea. Yeah. Well, you're the provocateur. So. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying if, this is me being a, a snob, but if the, if the filmmaking and the craftsmanship is not there, then this is just a, a cheap cash grab to, to, to take advantage of a public domain. Yes work. and no. And the same thing's going to happen to Mickey Mouse next yeah. year. Yes and no. And the same thing I put it into is this is a low budget slasher movie, which is its own genre of movie that people like. You cannot make a low budget slasher movie without it being a low budget yeah. slasher movie. Like, that's just what it is. And, and the thing with it is, is there are high budget, excellently produced, excellently made slasher movies that are out there that are common household names. There are low budget, terribly made slasher movies out there that are common household names yeah. because they're, they're, they're good movies in the end because of what they are. Which of these, again, this is not a movie review as to you know what it is. Which of these it is, I don't know because I'm not going to watch it. I have the feeling I'm not going to like it regardless because I can't put it up against what is the kind of movie this should be. Yeah. What I look at it is, and again, this is solely from watching the trailer, I love the concept of what they're trying to do with Winnie the Pooh as a story, with the idea of it being he abandoned his toys in the woods. This is what it's left out from being in the thing. He abandoned his toys in the Thousand Acre Woods. He grew up and he moved away. Mm-hmm. And now the toys are bitter about it. And, and it's one of those it's things evil toy story. It's evil toy story. <laughs> and it's one of these things where I'm looking at it and I'm like, what a great concept. And it's got to be from a concept which is a beloved children's story. There's no other way to make this. I think I'm just more cynical than you when it comes to why people are doing these things. Yeah, I know it's I know as well it's a cash grab, but at the same time I don't have a problem with the cash it, it grab. It's a good idea. It could be a good one. Uh, there, there have been some good cash grabs. I, I think it's hard to do, but it's it's not impossible. So yeah, we have, we have Winnie the Pooh. I also think Winnie the Pooh. The situation's interesting because the same thing's going to happen to Mickey Mouse next year with Steamboat Willie entering yeah. the public domain. And the rights to Winnie the Pooh, the character, and Mickey the Mouse, the character, are owned by the same company, Disney. Disney. And as far as I can tell, Disney has not filed any lawsuits over this. Well, one thing to keep in mind about it is that also Disney's Winnie the Pooh has differences from the original yes. A.M.L. Winnie the Pooh. Um, the red, the red T-shirt definitely being the notable one, um, you know, which is not in A.A. Milne's original book and the original illustrations. And so, you know, you bump into things where there's iconic things we think about as Winnie the Pooh, which are not in the public domain yet, and you know, which would would definitely bump into you know some of those questions of you know Disney having issues and having rights in because of their later presentations of, of, of what's out there the one I mentioned earlier is Tigger and again I don't know if Tigger comes in and now we are six or if he comes in in a book next year for some reason I think it's yeah, a probably coming book. soon I think it's a 2024 book is when Tigger is introduced as a character so Tigger is not in the public domain 1928 was okay. uh, Tigger's uh, origin so, so he's yeah, same year so next year we'll get next Tigger next year is 2024 um, so yeah you, you've got all sorts of issues like that and again that also plays into what we're going to talk about another one of the issues coming in here is Sherlock Holmes yeah Yes, which we've talked about uh, several times before. We're going to do a whole separate episode on Sherlock Holmes and the Mickey Mouse copyright in, uh, well, depending on which one of these you're listening to, in the mainstream. Yep. Uh, so regular Lawyers, Lawyers Guide to the Galaxy, Galaxy. We'll, we'll do an in-depth look at the Sherlock Holmes uh, appellate court decision. But the same thing has already happened with Sherlock Holmes, and the courts have kind of told us what happens. And it's, it's, it's simpler and more intuitive than maybe you'd expect. The parts of the character that are public domain are public domain, and the parts of the character that aren't, aren't. aren't. And it's yeah. just that's, <laughs> that's simple. Uh, so, 
it, it does, however, make it a bit of a needle-threading exercise to go through uh, and figure out you know, what, uh, what, what you can and can't use. And as we talked about in a you know, now-long-ago episode involving Star Trek uh, Axanar, it also gives content creators an incentive to continually expand upon the character and change what it is because you keep adding new things to the character that become part of the copyright that lasts longer. And so we have Star Trek has gone from being sort of this polished 1960s, um, you know, uh, idyllic future to the modern incarnation, which looks nothing at all like the Star Trek that you and I grew up with. Uh, so it's a whole different thing now. It's a different look and feel now. It's a different tone now. And the more content you add, the more minds you you lay for people who are trying to use the public domain works once you get there. Yeah, and that's and quite frankly, I mean, we can look at it and say it's a good thing or a bad thing, and I think that stuff we'll get into and judge with that episode. Um, it's what it is, but it's definitely happening. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a thing. So it's a <laughs> thing. This is a major year for books, and again, I think, you know, you're the English major here, you know, in conjunction with it. We are talking about sort of that, that what I think we may say are the greats of American literature. Yeah. That's obviously debatable. It's what you consider the greats of American literature. And I think the foundation for what would become like the American novel as a genre was laid in the 1910s and 1920s. And you see this happening... really across the entire country, uh, you know, in, in all communities. So there's just a lot that goes on in the 1920s. It's the Roaring Twenties, it's post-war, post-Spanish flu, we can all sympathize with that, uh, and pre-depression. So you've got this well-defined book-ended decade where there's just an amazing amount of creativity, a lot of cultural change, a lot of social liberalization, and people talking about and filming things that never were talked about in film before. And although by, you know, a century later it may seem a little quaint <laughs> to some yeah. extent hey, um, we're all going to seem quaint a century as yeah, well too yeah the, the 80s also kind of seem that way now right? <laughs> uh, to us so so this is this is an important decade all around and you also just on a technology level you have things changing a lot which we'll see with films so let's talk about films uh, number one on this list Fritz Lang Metropolis yeah I mean it's it's a movie I, I'm pretty sure I've seen I remember it from film class I've yeah. intro to film you know when we I was in we watched this college. in my 1920s literature class yeah. it's if you've never seen it I, I don't I don't think you have to see it, but it's a movie you should at least be familiar with because it is sort of a, a, a clever critique. It, you know what it reminds me of is uh, Aldous Huxley a little bit, uh, Brave New World. <laughs> Brave New World. Kind yeah. of this dystopian, like, this is... It's a dystopian t- world. I mean, yeah. that's the, the best way to look You've at it. You've got this main character that's, like, working this giant machine and turning dials and cranks with steam going everywhere, and he has no idea what it does or, or why he's even doing it. Uh, and so it sort of speaks... There's a little bit of Faulkner in there, too, in that sense of uh, kind of speaking to the purposelessness of, of life, the direction. Uh, despite all the wealth and extravagance of the 1920s, uh, the day-to-day drudgery of work, you know, and not, not coincidentally, coming on the heels of communist revolutions around the world, you see dissatisfaction amongst all these workers and the jobs they're doing, even though they're making more money than anybody ever has, doing it and getting out of the, the cornfields and stuff. So Metropolis is uh, kind of an artifact of his time, uh, and it's a silent film. I think that one's a silent yeah, film. I believe it is. But yeah, it's it's worth at least going to YouTube and watching like five minutes of it just to get a sense of it. Um, it's or just, if anything else, read a good review of yeah, it. I yeah. mean, that's the thing with it. And again, it's it's a movie I remember studying in film class. I don't know if we watched all of it or only watched part of it. Yeah, we watched like, what like it was. 15 minutes of it. Like, that, that was enough. It was, yeah. it was dreary. It's, well, it's a dreary movie. It's, it's, it's a German movie. film. So. Yeah, it's, and again, it's all about being yeah. dreary. That's yeah. the movie's oh, about. German film in the 1920s. Just to place <laughs> yeah. it in a historical context. 
Okay, next up, the jazz singer. This is the, I think, the first talkie. It's the first talkie. We got to say the jazz singer is the first talkie, and that's the idea. We are, you know, out of the silent film era. The jazz singer ends the silent film era. Yes. They still make silent films after it, but none of them, I think, really made it big. Also famous for prominent use of blackface. It it will offend you. It should offend you. uh, But that's what happened. I also watched part of this for my 1920s class, my English major. It's it's just jarring is the only word I can put to, to watch it with my modern lens. And, and just, it's hard not to say, like, how, how did anybody ever think this was okay? It's also a movie that in some sense was supposed to be jarring because it was the first talkie. They were also trying to jar you by the fact of the way they do the dialogue. The yeah. fact that the dialogue itself is self-referential in many respects early on is what they have with it. I think the key you really bump into with it is it, it, it is a product of its time. It's a revolutionary film because of the fact that it was the first talkie. But it is unquestionably a product of its time. And by modern sensibilities, a movie that a lot of people would not want to watch. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Uh, next up on the list, Wings. Uh, I'm only going to mention that because if it's... I think I've seen this. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it was the first cinematic release that had footage from an airplane. Uh, which, you know, i got to think in the 1920s, most Americans had never been in an airplane, didn't know what the Earth looked true, like yeah. from, from the sky. So if this is the one I'm thinking of, it, it, it was, I, I think, like a recreation of uh, a World War One flying ace uh, you know, combat, mm-hmm. uh, which, given the technology of the time, is pretty remarkable. It's right? also one of the things that you mentioned out here, which I didn't know it's the winner of the first Academy Award for Best picture yeah that was interesting yeah that's uh didn't know that either uh the rest of these i've mostly not heard of so the Um, other one i knew of from this is way of all flesh which is directed by victor fleming which it's and it hasn't here a lost film i believe there is no copy of this again it's a movie there's a lot of these hearing about um and again i think from my uh, my film studies class but i don't remember anything about why i learned about it i just recognized the name and so yeah it's there's a lot on here that i feel we don't know as well um just because the fact that again I took all of one film studies yeah. class and I don't think Ben took any. Ben took any, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I know certain films because of what they are. I mean, you definitely know Metropolis, definitely know The Jazz Singer. I've seen part of The Jazz Singer yep. because of seeing it you know, as part of that class, but not a lot of... Um, There's an Alfred Hitchcock film so, on here, The Lodger, The Story of London Fog. So yeah, I mean, these are, again, major movies, but we're now, I have to say, when we do the start of talkies, we are now definitely getting into the heyday of Hollywood without any question. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, and we'll see that as we go on, that the number of silent films entering the public domain drops off because people love this so much. Yeah, love the talkies. Okay, moving on. Musical compositions. This is where we're going to see, I think, uh, a, a lot. Because you have to bear in mind, we have two two big musical movements going on right now. We've got jazz, which is uh, sort of the, the mainstream pop music of, of the age. Yeah. And then you got blues. You also still have ragtime. And ragtime, yeah. This, yep. Yeah, but there's a lot of sort of the, again, it's the 1920s, a lot of... of, of creative output going on and uh, that includes uh, musically. Uh, we also have a lot of musicals at this point in time yes. and, and well-known musicals that have stuck around till today. Well, here's our first one. Irving Berlin putting on the Ritz. Ritz, yep. Which for, every time I see that I just think of Istanbul not Constantinople <laughs> why they might be giants. Which, that, we were talking about like, I just realized how did they get away with that? It's basically the same song. Uh, with Some, sort of. We've got uh, Old Man River, Rodgers and Hammerstein on here, Gershwin. Yep, Funny Face which yeah, again major in a musical. Billy Goat Stomp, Duke, uh, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Bessie Smith. I mean, just, it's a who's who of, yep. of, of uh, blues royalty from back in the day. Really laying the foundations for the precursors to uh, 
to rhythm and blues, which you know we're twenty years out in front of it. But after World War II is going to turn into rock and roll, rock and roll. Uh, yeah. with uh, with our very own St. Louis's own Chuck Berry. <laughs> so uh, that we, hopefully we, we will be retired in that podcast, and by the time we that stuff. <laughs> So there you go. There's kind of a, a, a short-ish uh, summary of what's going on. If you look at the rest of the page from Duke Law, they go over the Sherlock Holmes case. If you want a preview of what we're going to talk about and what will probably be our first episode in 2023 uh, on the uh, the main podcast, uh, it's there. But we're going to do a breakdown of that case, what the hell, how they went through the analysis. And it's not as complicated as maybe you'd think, uh, but it will be interesting to see what happens with Mickey Mouse, who's not just copyrighted. It's also a very important trademark. You know, I think, Kirk, you and I would both say the conventional wisdom would be, well, you can get around trademarks pretty easy, right? Just disclaim that you've got anything to do with it. But we do have things like trademark dilution and uh, and tarnishment yep. uh, that, that could be raised. So we will probably also discuss trademarks a little bit when we do our Mickey Mouse episode uh, talking about this uh, the Sherlock Holmes case and, as I say here in the, the Duke Law page, and the adventure of the public domain character. <laughs> yeah, and, and really what we're getting into in this is, is the idea of, public, of character copyright. We've talked about character copyright in conjunction with this before. I mean, but that's what we're getting into with these. We're now getting into works that in many respects for the first time, we are not talking about the individual work. People do not know Winnie the Pooh as Winnie the Pooh the book. They know Winnie the Pooh as Winnie the Pooh the character. Mm -hmm. They do not know Sherlock Holmes as Sherlock Holmes the book. They know Sherlock Holmes the character. And character character rights are unique. Same as in, we've commented on this before, they don't necessarily know Steamboat Willie. They know it as the first Mickey Mouse film. And so even though he's not called Mickey Mouse in conjunction with Steamboat Willie, he's called Steamboat Willie. Yes. Um, And so, you know, it's one of those things that you sort of, you know, bump into, you know, it's so I think what we really have with this is a, we're going to get into some real fundamental tenets of copyright here, but we're now starting to see where this is now starting to become a major issue because we're starting to see the oldest properties that have, for lack of a better term, lasting characters and lasting value that are now hitting their public domain day Yep. targets. Yep. And this is going to keep happening. Now that we're into the talkie era, and now that we're kind of a, on the verge of leaving the 20s behind, also be interesting to see as we, you know, 29 was a stock market crash. we got two years of fun left <laughs> in public domain day. <laughs> and then I think some of the things are going to get dark on us. So. Yeah. Well, and again, I think the thing we're really, and that's I think with the point with this, we've been talking a lot in these public domain episodes about the importance of literature that's been entering the public domain. Major American novels here is what it is. We're about to start seeing major American films. Yeah. And I think we're going to see the, the novels start to go by the wayside a little more. We're going to start to see more in the film and we're going to continue to see the influences of music um, and the changes of music that are that are going on at this point in time particularly when we hit the depression yeah um, we're sure. going to start seeing major changes in music we should give the usual caveat we give with this episode which is just because these things are entering the public domain doesn't mean the particular copies of them <laughs> you find on the internet are the public domain versions yes people can and do find them touch them up uh, improve the sound quality clean up the film and they can acquire copyrights to those new versions which you can in so just be very careful if you try to use any of this stuff about where you're getting it from. Yeah, talk to your lawyer. <laughs> talk to your lawyer. All right, uh, Kirk, any other parting thoughts for Public Domain Day? Again, we didn't have a Public Domain Day for lots of years because of the extension of copyright you know, that occurred. We're now seeing it come in. You know, other than the first one, all of a sudden everything sort of you know fell on for 20 years. Yeah. Um, we're now going to start seeing you know a lot more just sort of you know where it is and also where we are, particularly in American works. At this point in time, we're at a, a very... 
I think anybody who studies American history would say a very important era for American entertainment and industry generally. And where is that going to go? And what are we going to see from it? All right. Well, if you like what you hear, please go to your favorite platform. Take a minute to give us that five-star review. Uh, as you know, we are a niche podcast <laughs> with a modest but passionate listenership. And your feedback helps us expand the community by reaching other listeners just like you. Go tell people how much you love us. We appreciate it. Yeah, we need all the other unique people who are all just like you. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's all for this time. We'll see you next time. Lorem, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 